0: This is Real Estate Rookie episode 227.
1: I was living in an apartment, a two bedroom apartment for many years in um, East Williamsburg. And although I didn't own the apartment, I guess I was kind of house hacking in a sense that me and my husband, boyfriend at the time, would live in one room and we would rent out the other room. Um, and we were there for a very long time. And there just came a point where I was like, we've got to buy. Like, this is just crazy. The prices are going up. Um, so we ended up buying a co op in Brooklyn, and that was a game changer. I was like, oh man, it's possible for us to buy. <laughs> and then after that, that's when I really got the bug. Then I was like, okay, I'm ready to buy more. Um, and of course, New York City, I was like, I better look elsewhere <laughs> in order to start this sooner rather than later. Um, and that kind of kicked off the journey. My name is
0: Ashley Care, and I'm here with my co-host, Tony Robinson.
2: And welcome to the Real Estate Rookie Podcast, where every week, twice a week we give you the inspiration information and stories you need to hear to kickstart your investing journey and I want to start today's episode by shouting out one of our rookie audience members uh, Sarah frice Sarah left a, a podcast review for us on Apple and she says absolutely amazing I highly recommend listening to this podcast for some inspiration and to hear valuable tips on how to get started in real estate investing and Sarah that's why we do it because we want to inspire people we want to help people get started so if you are an avid listener if you're a part of the rookie community and you haven't left us a review yet ask yourself what are you doing with with your life. Because the more reviews we get, the more people we can find, the more people that find us, the more people we can help. And that is our goal. So Ashley Care, I know you got your mom in there with you today. <laughs> so, seems, seems like it's a, a different kind of podcasting day.
0: Yeah. So my mom's actually sitting at my kitchen counter now patiently or unpatiently waiting, she said, for us to finish. So uh, yeah, um, I have my mom live in the studio today. How Exciting. <laughs> So I guess I have to give a shout out to my mom, right? Isn't that what you do?
2: Once you've made it, you got to give a shout out to your mom. (laughs)
1: she's,
2: (laughs) She's the first one, but, um, I'm excited for today's episode. We've got, we've got Mackenzie Great on the podcast. And Mackenzie, first, she's just like a, a ball of energy. I, I love her, her enthusiasm for real estate investing. Uh, but she's also a hustler. She's got a, a full-time job as an assistant principal. She's an agent on the nights and the weekends. And she's also a, a real estate investor who's done, uh, I think, multiple different strategies in the world of real estate investing already. So love, love, love her, her approach and her story.
0: Yeah, and she kind of goes through these rules, and you know, touches on accountability, uh, like trusting yourself, uh, property management, all these things that she kind of defines for us as to what has really helped her become the investor that she is today, and how she got started. And then she also touches on what it looks like at home with her spouse, um, how they've built their their business, and what roles they each play um, in that business and like in their their household too. So I think that's um, really nice to, to touch on sometimes, and I think some people struggle with that as to what's okay, what's not okay, how to get your spouse on board, what if they're not on board, what if they don't have your sport? things like that. So I think listen to this episode, and that might help you find some some clarity on that.
2: Yeah, she also does a really good job uh, about halfway through talking about how she broke through the fear uh, that she had about getting started. And I think it's we, we have just a really in depth conversation around how to how to get over that. So if you're struggling from analysis paralysis right now, this is a great, great episode for you on how to get started
0: and also we had some technical difficulties during this episode so we are actually finishing the recording at another date so uh, for you guys watching on YouTube it's going to be work out flawlessly for Tony because he's always in the same spot and he always has the same black t-shirt but me I find a different place to record every single week it seems that I probably will not even remember what I was wearing today to wear it again when this is finished recording so uh, yeah so if you notice that change on youtube that is why just some technical difficulties um but we get to talk we get to talk to Mackenzie again so that's like the great part about it
2: actually no that's not what you're supposed to say you know you're like a celebrity and celebrities always have to do like an outfit change halfway through whatever's (laughs) happening so that's that's what it is
0: from now on for all the intros I'm gonna you know make you (laughs) and our producer patiently wait while I change outfits (laughs) gonna touch up on my makeup
2: T-O-Retirement.com. Or text REI to three three seven seven seven. Again, text REI to three
3: three seven seven seven. Remember when you had to pay to get a leads phone number? It was like the dark ages. Until Deal Machine made skip tracing a thing of the past. Now, with your Deal Machine plan, you'll get unlimited access to phone numbers and contact information for no extra cost. Transform your lead generation and deal-making strategies with Deal Machine. Sign up today and start exploring the unlimited possibilities at DealMachine.com BP.
2: We know, and you all know, why it's super important that good tenant screening is absolutely critical to your management process. Luckily, RentReady, the comprehensive property management software, has a new feature that makes tenant screening a complete breeze. In addition to TransUnion Certified Tenant Screening, RentReady now offers... Visit rentready.com. That's R E N T R E D I.com and use the code BP Investor. That's BP like bigger pockets investor for six months of rent ready for only $1. Well, Mackenzie, welcome to the Real Estate Rookie Podcast. We are so excited to have you. Uh, before we you know, get into the nitty gritty of the real estate investing side, just tell us a little bit about who you are.
1: Thank you for having me. Um, I'm Mackenzie Great. I live in Brooklyn, New York. Um, I invest upstate. And during the week, I'm an assistant principal at a middle school here in East New York. And then um, nights and weekends, I am a real estate agent slash investor.
2: Wow. So you're, you're just a little busy, huh? You're... Just a smidge. <laughs> yeah so assistant principal, real estate investor, and then you, you said you're an agent as well?
1: Yep. I also sell real estate. That started during the pandemic.
2: <laughs> Got it. So give us a give us backstory, Mackenzie. How does a, uh, an assistant principal get caught up in the world of, of real estate investing?
1: Yeah, well, I mean, it's a well-known secret that we don't get paid a lot. Um, (laughs) We do it for the love of the job, not necessarily the paycheck. Um, So I I always grew up with a single dad. He did a lot of um, construction and whatnot. So I was always interested in buying real estate. And then once I moved to New York city and got started in education. I realized that dream was going to be a little bit harder to attain if I didn't figure out something on the side um, to push me towards that. So I, you know, doing research and whatnot, I looked into real estate and it just seemed like a perfect fit. So I started to invest myself. And then like many people during the pandemic, I did a whole bunch of research and like really re-examined my life and decided I also wanted to sell real estate. Um, And yeah, since then, it's just really snowballed.
0: Did you get your license first before you bought your first investment or you invested first and then decided to get your license?
1: I invested first in a town that I had never been to. (laughs) Been there. Yes.
0: (laughs) Well, that's really cool. Um, But uh, with the licensing side, just real quick, because this is something rookies always ask is... Should I get my license? Does it benefit you as an investor? So can you kind of talk about the pros and cons of that real quick?
1: Absolutely. There's benefits and there's definitely drawbacks. So different states have different rules. But in New York State, you have to be very careful if you're a realtor, especially going after off-market deals, um, because there is a theft of equity law. Um, So I have to fully disclose that I'm a realtor when I'm purchasing any sort of property. Um, So in that sense, it's a little bit of a hindrance sometimes in finding off-market deals, but I will say this, it's definitely helped grow my network. It's taught me a lot about houses and what to look for. Um, it's really just helped keep me in the game, so to speak. So I, I would recommend it if it's something that you're passionate about. Um, yeah, go for it.
2: Yeah, we, we had David Green on the podcast uh, not, not too long ago. And you know his recommendation to folks was don't get your real estate license just because you want to be a real estate investor only get your real estate license if you also feel that like you have a passion for helping people buy and sell real estate because the, the the skill sets, even though they're both in the world of real estate investing, the the skill sets to be a super successful agent are definitely very different than the skill sets needed to become a very successful real estate investor. Um, but you know, for some folks, it definitely th- those two worlds combine and, and mesh really well.
1: Yeah. And for me, the idea was just that it would help accelerate that cash that I have to invest. Um, So that was part of it. I was like, man, if I could do this on the the side, which I realized, too, it's very hard to do it part time. Like it really is all encompassing. Um, But it definitely helped speed up my acquisition in terms of my portfolio.
2: So on that note, Mackenzie, if you wouldn't mind, just share with us what your portfolio looks like today. How many units do you have and, and how long have you been investing?
1: Absolutely. So I started in 2017 up in Kingston. I have two single family homes there, a fourplex, a duplex, and then an Airbnb that I just added this year. And then I own my primary here in Brooklyn.
0: So with your primary, um, when you purchased that, did you have any idea of real estate investing or was it just an emotional purchase? I need this house or was there kind of some kind of strategy in purchasing that property?
1: Yeah, I mean, I definitely. <laughs> I was living in apartment, a two bedroom apartment, for many years in um, East Williamsburg, and although I didn't own the apartment, I guess I was kind of house hacking in a sense that me and my husband, boyfriend at the time, would live in one room and we would rent out the other room, um, and we were there for a very long time. And there just came a point where I was like, we've got to buy. Like this is just crazy. The prices are going up, um, so we ended up buying a co op in Brooklyn, and that. that. That was a game changer. I was like, oh man, it's possible for us to buy. <laughs> and then after that, that's when I really got the bug. Then I was like, okay, I'm ready to buy more. Um, and of course, New York City, I was like, I better look elsewhere <laughs> in order to start this sooner rather than later. Um, and that kind of kicked off the journey.
2: M- Mackenzie, you said uh, that you bought a co-op in Brooklyn. I'm not familiar. Every time I talk to my friends from New York, Ashley taught me about Wells and and winterizing your, your HVAC unit, whatever the heck that means. So what is a co-op? I've never heard that that. that phrase before.
1: Yeah. So they're usually, I would say in big cities, um, but essentially I own a share of the building. I don't own my actual unit. Of course I can still do all of the things that I want, like fixing up the unit. You just have to run it by a board. So essentially there's a board that oversees all of the decisions. There tends to be rules and maintenance fees. Um, Some people like that. Some people don't. I personally like it because it definitely helps maintain the value of my property and there's someone else who's getting out there doing the snow blowing and like <laughs> taking out the trash and all of that stuff. Um, but yeah, it's, it's just a way to live in a community uh, that's similar to condos, except you don't own the physical space. You own a share in the building, essentially.
0: What is like the benefit of that? So when you want to move out of your unit, are you selling your share then of the property or how does that work?
1: Yeah, your shares are linked to your specific unit. So it's essentially the same thing. You're selling your unit. Whoever is buying those shares is going to be moving into your unit. I think the benefit of it is that it requires a lot less maintenance because you don't have to do that. Um, Also, it really protects your property value because the board is looking out for the best interests of the overall building. So, for example, and, you know, looking back, You always rethink certain decisions, but I can't sublet out my apartment. Um, And part of that is because they don't want a lot of turnover. They want people who are buying into the building, sticking around a long time, have that pride of ownership. Um, So they put certain rules in place in order to protect the overall investment of the building. And they also, on your behalf, negotiate good deals. So like, for example, Spectrum, our whole building has a special agreement with them. So it's super cheap, but they're able to do that because there's like 500 units in the building.
2: All right. So a, a couple questions here. Sorry, my head's spinning. So, I, I've, I'm, you know, this is something new to me, which doesn't happen often on, on this podcast. But um, so with this co-op and you, you mentioned the board, who elects those board members and are they also residents of that building?
1: Yes, um, we all do. And actually, in my building, they take it very seriously. When I tell you they take it seriously, like they hire a company to come in and like make sure the votes are correct. We've got one of those old fashioned voting machines where you like pull down the lever um, but it's legit, yeah. People, anyone in the building can get nominated and run and then you give a speech and there's like an election period every single November. Um, and I, I think, I don't know the exact number. I think there's like maybe nine total and it's three year terms and every year three more people come up for election. Um, and anyone in the building can, you know, Look in on the meetings. We've been doing it on Zoom lately. And in theory, you can have a say um, (laughs) if you want. But it definitely also, you know, I appreciate the people on the board because it tends to be older folks who are retired, who have the time, who are really excited about it. And um, our building specifically, they do more than just take care of the place. They also like throw parties. Like we have a Christmas party every year. It usually happens in January. So you get to know everyone. You know, um, we have dog events because a lot of people in the building have dogs.
2: <laughs> so it's almost like an HOA, but like on, you know, I guess like a, kind of a different setup. So last question, the co-op from an appraisal standpoint, is it is your unit appraised the same way a non-co-op? Unit would be appraised, or is there a different process uh, related to that as well?
1: It's the same process, but I would say they would use a co op unit to do the appraisals. So it wouldn't be a a, a condo, would not be a comp that they would pull for that. Um, And the reason for that being is just condos tend to appreciate quicker in value, I would say, at least here in New York City. Maybe it's different elsewhere. Um, But yeah, so they're going to pull similar stuff from other co ops in the area.
0: How did this, like having your first primary unit kind of set the tone or the pace for you jumping into real estate? Did it play a role at all as to all of a sudden you have, you know, a ton of appreciation or equity in your property?
1: Yeah. So for me, it helped me get over analysis paralysis, which I know many people suffer from. I myself was a sufferer. (laughs) As soon as I bought this place, it like, We were very nervous because we had lived so dirt cheap, you know, sharing this room in an apartment that had never gone up in rent. And we're like, can we afford this? I don't know. Uh, We're running the numbers over and over. And so finally, when we moved in and we realized not only could we afford it, but we had a lot of extra money that we would continue to save. um, That's when it kind of hit me. I was like, dude, I waited way too long to do this. Imagine if I had done this before where I could be now. Um... So once we realized that, it was less than a year until I bought my first rental upstate. I was dead serious at that point. I was like, okay, all this extra money that we have now, because we still are living well below our means, that's going directly towards our savings account so that we can buy our first property.
0: Okay, so you had mentioned earlier that you bought a property in a town you've never been to. Was this your first investment property then? Yep. Okay, so how did you find the town, and what made you decide on that market?
1: Yeah, so I Googled the three fastest-growing job markets in New York State at the time, um, and two of them were near you, Ashley, and I was like, that's just too far for me to travel. The third one was Kingston, New York, um, and that's only 90 miles north of the city, so I literally called up my friend with a car, because I didn't have a car at the time, and I said, hey, you want to drive me upstate and I'll treat you to lunch and we'll shop for houses? <laughs> and he's always game. He was like, absolutely, let's do it. So um, we drove up there and I love the realtor that helped us. She's still a good friend to this day. She took me seriously, you know, and it was one of those things where like I came with my numbers. I had a short list of properties I wanted to look at and she was just like, let's do it. And um, sure enough, I put an offer on that first one and I have never looked back. I was able to get it. It was awesome.
0: Mackenzie, I love your energy on this. And I hope everybody listening to this is just getting pumped up to grab a friend and go driving for dollars looking for properties after listening to this. So that, then tell us more about getting that that first deal of just how, how did you get comfortable with, okay, like I live this far away. There's, I feel like there's that fear sometimes. And even me, I've only invested besides in Seattle around my area in my market. How did you get comfortable that you couldn't physically be at the property every single day? And not that you need to, but it still like sits in the back of your mind, like getting comfortable with investing out of state or out of your market?
1: Yeah, I mean, I always knew I would need a property manager, just even with my day job, like, (laughs) there's no way I could be like, addressing stuff in the middle of the day. So um, that was part of the numbers. Always. That was part of the plan. Always. Um, So that that's what made me feel comfortable. Granted, my first property manager, I did end up parting ways after a couple of years, because I learned some hard lessons about that. Um, But for me, it was just You know, if you get a property manager, ultimately they're responsible for taking care of it and I could still go about and do whatever else I needed to do.
2: Just to just to like clarify one thing, and I want to make sure we don't gloss over this. So it was it was the purchase of your your initial primary residence, that co-op that took away the fear that you had that was associated with buying real estate. And once you got over that initial fear, that's when you felt confident enough to move forward with buying that investment property. Am I recapping that the right way?
1: Yeah. I think before I bought that primary, I didn't think it was possible. You know what I mean? So once I bought that that first one, I was like, wait a minute. I just went through this process. If I can buy one for me, I can certainly buy another one and rent it out, <laughs> you know, and then just kind of keep that ball rolling.
2: And I, and I think that's like You know, so like it, it makes me think of Dave Ramsey, right? And regardless of what, you know, I know a lot of real estate investors feel different ways about Dave Ramsey and what he preaches. But I think part of what's made him so successful are these baby steps that he has to financial freedom. And it's like anyone can, even if they can't, I guess, believe that it's possible to become a millionaire or have, you know, generational wealth, what they can believe is, can I pay down this one credit card? And because he's built this framework around these baby steps, I think that's why some, some people have bought into, into what he's preaching. And it's like what you did, Mackenzie, is the same thing. Like you said, I want to be a real estate investor, but that idea seems a little bit too scary or impossible at the moment. But what maybe what's a, a, a smaller step I can take that is possible? And for you, it's like, okay, let's go buy this this co-op. Let's go buy this this house for us to live in. And once you take that first baby step, you're like, that actually wasn't nearly as bad as we thought it was going to be. Now let's take that next step. So I think it's such an instructional lesson for people that are listening that, yeah, maybe the idea of being a big real estate mogul doesn't seem possible right now, but what, what is the next step that is possible? Is it meeting that agent? Is it getting pre-approved? Is it walking that property? Whatever that next step is that you are comfortable with, identify that and use that to, to kind of catapult you forward.
0: Absolutely. So Mackenzie, I wanna talk about your husband with us did were you married already when you went and purchased this property or did you purchase this before you were married
1: yes um both of them we were married at that point we uh, actually got married and we still had a roommate at our other apartment (laughs) um but yeah no we bought this primary together and then once we bought our first investment property um I kind of told him that we were going to do it and luckily I have a super supportive husband he definitely asked questions and was nervous um But I I went up there and I came home that night and I said, hey, hon, we're going to buy an investment property. And he
0: just said, okay.
1: He said, okay. He was definitely nervous. I am definitely more the you know, person who's gonna go out there and take a risk. Um, He asked a lot of questions about the numbers, where it was at. uh, But ultimately I was able to show him, and this was another step that helped me overcome analysis paralysis, is worst case scenario, in this situation, if they didn't pay a dime, whoever our tenants were, we would be able to cover the rent. Um, So I showed him that and I was like, "Okay, that would be really bad. That hopefully won't happen. But if so, then I guess we'll pay the rent while they're not paying.
0: So how active is his role now? I mean, is he active in deal analysis or, you know, handling tenants or anything like that?
1: No, he's not really involved at all. It's just not his thing. Of the two of us, you know, I'm I'm more of the handier person. I was raised by a single dad. Um, he does the laundry and the cooking and the pug watching. Um, but but yeah, it's, it's mostly me who does the investment. And I kind of let him know when we're going to buy something or when I'm thinking about buying it. I always run it by him. Um, but most of the time, he doesn't even see the property until the day we close and he's up there to sign the papers.
0: <laughs> you know That's very similar to my situation. Um, like we have separate things. He has the farm. I have, you know, my real estate investing. And it's at the point now it's like, oh, oh you we have new tractors. Oh, you went and bought new tractors? I, I bought a house last week too. Like it's not even yep. a comparison anymore. You don't know, have to tell. It's just like we're running our own businesses and it's not affecting, you know, our like the family money. Like it's not, as long as it's not like affecting the kids or anything like that, it, it doesn't matter. We're operating our businesses. And I think sometimes it can kind of get like this real estate investing is risking so much that like you need to discuss every single thing with your spouse. And this will definitely vary upon relationship. But if you looked at somebody that owns, you know, say a, a, a construction company or whatever, and their company goes out and buys like a new bulldozer or whatever, like that's part of their operations. And that's going to make them more money because they have this bulldozer now to be more efficient. Are those, those business owners, are they going and asking their spouse, like, is it okay if I like spend that money to do this? And I would say a lot of the time, the, the answer is probably no, at least like, businesses I've been involved in where like it's a business it's like this is a business expense like this isn't a a family matter and like maybe it should be maybe it shouldn't I don't know but I think um like that you have the support and that your spouse trusts you to make those decisions is they don't have to be involved and I remember talking to an investor before I was really struggling like I just like, I try to get my wife involved. I try to get her to like do the bookkeeping or like do something or maybe communicate with the tenants and she just doesn't want to do with it. That is okay. That's fine. Like you can hire somebody to do that. You don't, as much as it would be nice to get that free labor from your wife, you don't need to, to have her involved. It's the support and just like the trust that you are going to make good decisions. And if there's bad decisions made too, um, that they are going to stand behind you and say, okay, how can I help you so that we can, you know, remediate this, we can fix this.
1: Totally. That whole accountability piece, um, I think is one of the things that I had to learn along the way is if I'm convincing my husband to jump into something that he's not comfortable with, or, you know, this isn't his thing. He doesn't enjoy it like I do. Then I have to be in a place where I'm ready to take full accountability for all of the decisions and like work through the problems because problems will arise. And that doesn't mean that he doesn't want to help, but at the same time, I need to figure it out in order to grow as an entrepreneur myself.
2: Yeah. Mackenzie, you mentioned the word accountability, and I want to go back to that. But before I do, uh, just to piggyback on what you were saying, Ashley, about the spouse piece, it's like so many so many rookies who are listening, they, they, I think, mix up the terms on board with involved. And so many spouses want their, or so many real estate investors want their spouses on board, but that doesn't necessarily mean they have to be involved. Like, If your trust, if if you have that trust between you and your spouse, that's them being on board, right? If they're saying, Hey, I trust you to make the right decisions, I trust you to go out and and buy that right property, that's them being on board. Them being involved would say, Hey, let's analyze this deal together, or hey, you go find the deals and I'll go manage them. And there's there's different levels, right? So you can have The spouse that is like against real estate investing that doesn't wanna do it at all. You can have the spouse that says, I'm okay with doing it, I just don't really care for it, but you go do it on your own. And then like the third level would be like, hey, let's, let's do this together. So for the rookies that are listening, Understand which one of those dynamics fits your situation and, and don't try and force your spouse into it if they're giving you their blessing, but they just don't want to be your partner.
0: And Mackenzie, too, you mentioned that, you know, your husband does the cooking, the cleaning, it takes care of the pups like that's a huge benefit. That's like so nice that you have that. You don't have to worry about that and you can focus on the real estate investing, too. So I think there's a lot of different things your spouse or partner can be doing for you that is actually helping you because you don't have to take time away from real estate investing to do those things. And for the people who just tuned out for the last five, 10 minutes, when we were talking about having a spouse or partner, if you are single, think about what your goals are and find somebody who has a skill set that can help you with whatever your real estate dreams are. So you wanna build a house from ground up, Data contractor,
2: <laughs> <laughs> but actually, I think even if you don't, even if you don't have a spouse, I think the idea of like the supply into partnerships is just as true. Yeah, it's like say that you have a, a money partner, and it's like, what what does that dynamic look like? Um, the last thing I want to mention on the on the spouse piece, or just like the the trust piece, is that I, I agree with you, Ashley, about like you know you you gave the example of of you and Dave with you know him with the farm and, and you with the real estate business, but I think that level of like you do your thing increases as the business scales, right? So like if you think about like like Amazon, Jeff Bezos, when he bought Whole Foods, do you think he went to his wife at the time and said, hey honey, I'm thinking about buying Whole Foods. Like, like what do you, no, absolutely not, right? Like Jeff Bezos is running Amazon. But when Jeff Bezos left his job and he told his wife, hey, I wanna take our savings and fund this little online bookstore, are you okay with that? I'm sure there was a, a very in depth discussion they had at that point. So I, I think for a lot of folks that are just starting, if you're taking your maybe your life savings and you're putting it into real estate, there does have to be that probably, you know, really deep discussion about what you guys want as a family. But as a business scales, and we've seen the same thing in, on, on our side as well, is that that's when that trust starts to grow a little bit more and you have that, that higher level of, uh, of autonomy.
0: Yeah, that's a great point because like you'll get to the point, hopefully, we're not using any of your family money. You're Just taking cash flow from the properties you already have and then rolling that into something or doing creative financing and no money down deals, too.
1: My favorite moment with my husband this year was after we finished. After I finished the Airbnb, he turns to me, he's like, this is up and running really well. I think we should do more of them. (laughs) Because he literally was just like, this is, he saw the fun side of it. You know, the getting to stay upstate in the cottage and like bringing the pugs. I was like, hey, if that makes him happy and that makes him on board, I am all about that. Because I don't want it to be something where it, um add stress to our relationship. You know, if this is what makes me happy, I almost look at, yes, it's a business, but it's also more my hobby and my passion. Um, And that's just not his hobby or his passion. So if it's separate, I'm fine with that. I would love a Chip and Joanna situation, but hey, every relationship is different. You know, there's business partners for that. Yep. (laughs) A hundred percent. Look
0: at my Instagram. It's all littered with my business partner just because like that's the content, whatever. We're putting the reels out of, of that because we do that together. So that's why you can always find a, a business partner to, um, you know, do those cute Chip and Joanna Gaines videos. <laughs> so Mackenzie, so at home, like you probably, you guys discuss your real estate investing, I'm sure, because it's so hard as a real estate investor to not talk about it. But I, like for myself, even it was I would have been investing for maybe two years before I even found bigger pockets. And then I like found this community and it was like, oh, my gosh, there's like minded people out there. Who are you using for accountability and how are you meeting like-minded individuals?
1: Yeah, I mean, in the beginning, it was the same thing. It was mostly books that I started off with. Then I found the podcast and other podcasts. Um, but now it's like friends that I have at the meetup. A lot of my clients are buying investment properties. So we definitely work closely together to get them up and running. Um, it just... I have personal friends who are also entrepreneurs in different senses. They don't all invest in real estate. But we tend to talk regularly about, like, what are our goals and what do we want to accomplish this quarter and that sort of stuff. Some of it's formal meetings. Others are just informal, like text. You know, you send each other a win. Or, like, when you're stressed out, uh, hey, (laughs) I'm about to make a really big decision. Can I just talk to you for, like, five minutes? Um, I just need some reassurance here, you know, and you're, like, clear about what it is. So yeah, it's all all different places. You can find it for sure.
0: That's like me and Tony in between podcast recordings where we have some time. It's like, okay, let's get into a therapy session here. (laughs) We need to talk about (laughs) what's going on in our real estate investing. (laughs) How can we help each other?
1: Totally.
0: Um, Okay. So you mentioned a little bit about your Airbnb property and your husband, like let's do more of these. So Tell us about that property because I, I love when Tony starts to perk up and get excited about listening to someone talk about short-term rentals.
1: Absolutely. Well, I actually never planned on doing a short-term rental. I got to be honest. Um, what was happening was I would go upstate and do my long-term rentals and each one I would buy and fix up and I would carry, literally carry my air mattress and that's where I would crash. Um, so as I'm doing the project, you know, I'd fix it up and then... After a while, it just got so exhausting moving from place to place. So I decided, you know what? Maybe I should do an Airbnb because then I'll be able to use it uh, when I'm up there. But of course now, hindsight, 2020, the best time to rent it out is on the weekends. And usually I'm up there on the weekends. (laughs) So now I have the, the challenge, the good challenge of it being so successful that I'm like, all right, now it's always rented out. Back to finding the next one, you know? Um, but yeah, no, I decided to do that because it just seemed like the next step. I found a property that fit the criteria purely by accident, stumbled across it. And, um, so I I was like, well, let's go ahead and try this out. Let's do it. I've read enough about it. I've learned enough about it. It's going to be more work for sure. But I know that there's enough tools out there that can really reduce how much, uh, I have to manage it directly myself. Um, so I decided to take the jump.
2: Now, you, you talked already, Mackenzie, that you, you've got a, a busy schedule, right? You, you've you got the real estate agent work, you've got your day job of being the assistant principal. And you said when you started the, the long-term rental piece that you knew you had to get a property manager in place. Are you doing the same thing for the short-term rental or, or how are you managing that, that property?
1: Yeah. So this is crazy and totally counterintuitive, but actually with the short-term rental, although it involves more management, I am doing that myself um, because The more I realize now, like once you get it set up with all of the automations and whatnot, it really reduces the amount of managing that you do have to do. Um, the other thing is upstate, and I don't know if it's like this all over the country, but to have a short-term rental property manager, it is significantly more expensive than a long-term rental um, property manager. And the one thing that I've heard over and over is like a lot of people get frustrated when that big storm hits, right? And all <laughs> suddenly every short-term rental needs someone out there immediately because the electricity's out, or like you got to get it plowed. And then they're like, oh, my manager's you know backed up. Up because they're going to every other short-term rental. So um, so for me, I was like, if I'm gonna, you know, put any sort of money into having a short-term rental manager, I'd need them to be hundred percent on board. And that's asking a lot when you really look at it, if that um ever were to come to fruition. So
2: we know and you all know why it's super important that good tenant screening is absolutely critical to your management process. Luckily, RentReady, the comprehensive property management software, has a new feature that makes tenant screening a complete breeze. In addition to TransUnion Certified Tenant Screening, RentReady now offers proof of income verification. So RentReady's automatic tenant proof of income verification ensures an in-depth check of each applicant's financial stability and earnings. With Plaid Certified Tenant Income and Asset Reports, you can see a potential tenant's income summary and total earnings by month. It's time to take goodbye to that whole gut check tenant screening and feel confident renting out your property with Rent Ready. Now, Rent Ready is included in your pro membership at Bigger Pockets. If you're not a pro, they're offering the six month plan for only $1. Visit rentready.com. That's R E N T R E D I.com and use the code BP Investor. That's BP like Bigger Pockets Investor for six months of Rent Ready for only $1.
3: If you're looking to make more from your vacation home, work with the reliable property manager, and finally have peace of mind, partner with Vacasa at Vacasa.com slash BiggerPockets. That's Vacasa.com slash BiggerPockets.
2: Rookies, 2024 is the year to start protecting your rental properties with an LLC. But you don't have to do all the paperwork and filing yourself. Head over to corporatedirect.com slash bigger pockets to schedule a free 15 minute consultation with an incorporating specialist mention real estate rookie and get a $100 discount on your formation that's corporatedirect.com slash bigger pockets
0: Mackenzie I have to ask this because I've talked to Tony about this it, even more Sarah about this and I'm you know have one Airbnb unit now but I'm remodeling several and going to have quite a few. What is your system, or what are the softwares that you're using to keep this so automated?
1: So, this links back to also finding your perfect match elsewhere. <laughs> I have a client who bought an Airbnb himself. I designed his and he helps me with the tech on mine. So he got me all set up on Guesty and um, Price Labs and all of it. So it's completely automated turnover Airbnb where it sends the email directly to my cleaner so she can book it. Um, So all of that, he has 100% taken control over and just set it up for me so that it's pretty up and running. Um, But those would be the three main ones we're using right now. And he's always, what is it, beta testing or whatever, trying out new ones and then calling me up and being like, hey, Mackenzie, I'm going to switch this over because I found out this about this. And I'm like, perfect. You just show me how to use it and we're good.
0: (laughs) What is the one thing that you wish that you could automate? with your short-term rental business that you have yet been able to?
1: Oh, that's a good question. Um...
0: Tony, do you have an answer for that one?
2: I mean, every, yeah. I mean, so many, actually. Um, Maintenance requests. um, We're we're actually trialing some more software right now to try and automate that a little bit more. Um, Like right now, our cleaner will either reach out to us or our handyman, but we have no Good process of like tracking all the open maintenance requests across your portfolio, so that's been a challenge for us. Um, and honestly, like if we could find some way to like automate the the setup a little bit more, that would help a ton. But I don't know how you automate building furniture, so that's that's a bit of a challenge. But I say a big sticking point right now is like the maintenance request piece.
1: Yeah, I guess I only have one, so it's not a ton, and I'm up there like a lot in between. But I guess when you were talking, I was thinking about the cleaning supplies. Mm. Usually I just stock up, stock up, stock up. But sometimes there's a situation where they're like, the one thing that I didn't think to check for has run low. So some sort of system, and I'm sure there is on Amazon. I'm going to look into this afterwards of like automatic queue where it sends it out every three months, no matter what.
2: <laughs> well, so what we've done in our business, McKinsey, and we're still trying to refine this process, but essentially we have like a like a minimum inventory level for each like consumable that we have and say it's Mm -hmm. like, I don't know, the hand soap. And say we always want to have like five jugs of the hand soap. And once we get below two, we'll order five more, you know, and that'll, that'll get us back up, you know? So it's like, know what that repoint like level is for each inventory item. That way you never, you never run out. But anyway, hopefully that's helpful.
0: (laughs) Definitely. Tony, have you looked into just using like regular long-term property management software and just using the maintenance feature on it, like rent ready. I mean, they're it's super cheap to use them. And there's other free things too, where you just put in your units in that, and it's just used for the maintenance request and you can add in your vendors. And then, you know, the, the handyman or the cleaner, the cleaner, whoever would go in and submit the maintenance request in there. And then you know you can set it up so it's emailed directly to a vendor depending on what the issue is. And you can, but you can track it all in there and see all the different tasks in the move-in. And then whoever the handyman is that does it can mark it complete.
2: I've actually never thought about doing that, but we we just met with another company uh, last Friday, and they have a very similar like system it sounds like but built specifically for airbnbs mm. but it it's definitely not free yeah so uh or super inexpensive so i'll maybe i'll i'll have to check that out that's a good idea Yeah, because
0: i mean if you have to get another app anyways like you might as well right. use one of the super cheap property management
1: totally. company
0: ones because i feel idea. like it would fit whatever you need to do just the the thing is is that it's just another app you need but if you have to do yeah. that anyways we got anyway. other one yeah
2: yeah. That's a good point, Ash. I appreciate that. Yeah.
0: Okay. So Mackenzie, you've done short-term rental, long-term rental, any, any other kind of
1: strategies we haven't heard about yet? Well, I'm getting ready to do my first flip. Um, awesome. I, yeah. I'm, I'm excited. I actually have always been like a buy and hold type of gal, but my broker does a lot of flips and she wants to partner on one. So we are currently actively looking for that. Um, And I'm you know, when an opportunity like that comes up, you take it. <laughs> She's awesome at it, and I know I'll learn a lot, so I'm I'm gonna
2: do it. <laughs> so Mackenzie, like one of the things that we talk about a lot on the show is like having having your buy box. Um, and I was pretty specific on that when I started in my long term rental uh, investing journey, and even in the short term rental side. Like within each market, we have certain kind of properties that we look for. But you've kind of you know you've bounced around a little bit. You did the the long term rental, the short term rental. Now you've got the flip, and each one of those probably has like a different. Yeah, you know, property that fits that mold. So do you, do you believe in the whole buy box strategy or I guess what's been your approach and how you handle that?
1: Yeah. I mean, I definitely did early on and I think that helps overcome analysis paralysis. You know, if you're someone who double, triple thinks through everything, then get that checklist going. Um, My first two properties were single family homes and I had a very strict criteria. In fact, they ended up being two blocks away from each other (laughs) just because it was that strict of a criteria. And then when the fourplex came along, it um, was in the area, but it wasn't a single family. And I was like, I don't know if I should be doing this. I've read about it, but like it doesn't meet what I really was looking at. And um, my, my accountability partner, my friend Ann, was like, just do it. It's clearly a good deal. You're talking about it. You won't <laughs> You won't stop talking about it. So just go ahead and do it. It'll work itself out. And I was like... Okay, I'm doing it. This is the biggest one yet, you know. Um, and of course, it ended up working out. There were definitely new challenges that presented. Um, and actually, as I was fixing up one of the units in there, a duplex came on sale a couple blocks over. And um, my other colleague <laughs> had reached out. I was like, hey, that duplex, you know, joking around. Do you want to buy it? Splitsies? And she laughed. And then the next mu- the next day, she called me back. And she's like, Yes. Yes, I do. (laughs) And I was like, okay, so I guess it looks like now I'm going to buy a duplex, you know? So it started off very rigid with the buy box, but as I've moved along, um, I've definitely, at least for me, recognized that I have to... Let go of some of the control in terms of those checklists because the market is changing, because certain deals come by. I don't want to be in a position where I'm waiting so much for that one specific type of deal that I let others opportunities pass that I could learn from. I've, I've read a lot. I've spoken to a lot of investors. I have a lot of resources now. So if it is venturing into a new area, I think I'll be able to figure it out. Um, you know, so it's it's worth it at this point in my career to just keep making steps rather than waiting for something specific to come along.
0: So what you're saying is like, kind of like, trust what you know, and like, follow your intuition. Like, what what do you think about that? Is it is it all like sticking and staying on the same path? Or it's like, it's okay to vary in that sense.
1: Yeah, I think it's trusting in yourself that you're gonna be able to figure it out and that you're gonna be able to solve the problem. And I think the more that you just dive in in any way, shape or form, it helps you to develop that sort of gut feeling of like, all right, this is a pretty good deal. Here's some things that could go wrong. Something's probably gonna come out of nowhere that I have no idea about, but I've (laughs) I've made it through some other storms. I'll figure it out. Or if I don't, I now have at least a network where I can be like, calling certain people who deal with certain things, or I've heard them deal with certain things and say, hey, how do I, how do I deal with this? I I don't know about a septic tank. This is my first property with one. What do I do? It seems like it's (laughs) seems like it needs some attention, help. Who do I call? You know? Um, so just trusting in yourself that you have the capability to figure it out, or at least find the people who can help you figure it out.
0: So in this case, would that be your property management company? Like asking them about that? like septic issues, things like that?
1: Definitely. They are a great resource. Um, I would say my broker, she's done a lot of that. And she's usually the first person I call or text. I also have neighbors now in the area who like, they all have septic tanks too. So I'll walk over to John's house and be like, actually there was a situation with a bear and I did. I literally went over to John's after I saw that. And I was like, how do we get rid of that bear? He's like, for starters." Don't throw food out. (laughs) It's like, okay, noted.
0: (laughs) Was that your first bear incident?
1: (laughs) It was. It definitely was. And it was one of those where like um, my husband had thrown out a can of soup. And this is like, by the way, this is winter, early, when bears should be hibernating. And I see on the camera a bear saunter through the next morning. And I'm like, oh my gosh. And I showed it to him. And he's like, yeah, I might have thrown out some soup back there.
0: Tony, I think you've had a similar thing happen at one of your Airbnbs, right? I saw it on your Instagram.
2: We've had quite a few bear encounters at, at our cabins out there, and yeah, you know, they're just they're like curious bears looking for looking for some meal. We actually had a bear that almost tried to get into one of our guests' car. Um, like they 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 didn't want to leave the property because the guest was like clawing to get in. So it's it's uh, we've all had those experiences. Better than a beaver, though. <laughs>
0: yeah, actually, we haven't seen a beaver in so long at the property that. We think they like left because Daryl would keep digging out their dam and they haven't come back. So I don't know. We we're hoping that it worked, but it was like a, it was like, it could have been like a, a cartoon. Like every day Daryl would go there and be so mad because they damned it back up with mud and sticks. He had to get a shovel. His <laughs> shovel would break as he tried to dam it. It was like it was really funny actually. I probably should put like a collage of the videos together that I've taken of them getting so frustrated. But yeah, we haven't seen them in a while. So we're hoping they're moved to to somewhere else. But um Okay, so you guys heard us talk about in the intro as to, we were having a couple of technical difficulties and I just wanted a reason for an outfit change because I still have no idea what I was wearing when we originally recorded this. So <laughs> I can't think back a couple of days. But so we left off talking about the bear story, Daryl with the beavers. So now Mackenzie, let's talk a little bit more about that bear incident and if that happened when you had a guest at the property. Since you're self-managing that, how would you have handled this situation like that? And, or maybe you had a circumstance or something like that happened.
1: Yeah. So actually, I would say probably a couple months later, um, there was a bear on the property and I had this lovely British couple who were staying there and um, they texted me a photo of the bear. <laughs> and I, At first I was like, oh, I'm so sorry. You know, just please make sure you're inside. Please don't leave any food out. And they're like, oh, no, darling, it was magical. And I was like, oh, thank goodness. <laughs> Um, So, you know, pretty much what I do now is I updated the book, (laughs) made it very much more bold, like make sure you keep food inside um, and just kind of like warn them, especially right now, there's a drought upstate. So a lot of the bears are coming down to the lower lands looking for food and water. Um, So I also sent a quick reminder, Texas people are checking in in regards to like the different things they need to do according to the drought. And um, definitely watching out for the bears is one of them. Not that there's a ton, but you know. (laughs)
0: my mom, we used to go, my dad used to take us up to Canada when we were younger and we'd go camping and stuff. And they used to have like the big garbage dumps where like people would take their garbage and dump it into these huge dumpsters. Well, like at dusk, the bears would come and they would pick out of the dumpster. So people would come and drive their car there. It's like you're at the drive-in movies and sit and watch all the bears do this. Well, my mom had this T-bird top Camaro and the bear bit the side of it and there was a bite mark in it. And to this day, my dad never let her get it fixed. She had to keep it in there because he thought it was so cool. (laughs) Okay, well, enough about bears. Uh, Mackenzie, I'm going to take us to our rookie request line. And this is where anyone listening can give us a call at one 888 5 rookie and leave us a voicemail. And Tony and I may choose it to play on the show as a question for our guests. So Mackenzie, are you ready for today's question? I am. Okay. Today's question is from Giselle. I am calling from Brooklyn, New York. I'm a registered nurse that is interested in building my real estate portfolio. So I have been looking at homes in Connecticut as well as in Baltimore because you know those are areas that I can get to. And my question is, I work as a registered nurse and my plan is to try to work part-time as much as possible while I continue to develop my portfolio. What exactly you do you guys do? What exactly do you guys do for health insurance? Do you just do private, pay it out of your pocket? Is there something specific for real estate investors or entrepreneurs? I would love to hear answers to this question.
1: Yeah, so that's actually... Resonates deeply. So I work in the public school system and I'm getting ready to leave. This is my last year. And that has been one of the main things that has held me back, that fear of not having health insurance. Um, So, I mean, my husband got a new job that has better insurance. So full disclosure, I'm going to jump on his insurance after this. But I have a lot of friends who have already left their jobs and um, a couple of things they do. I have one friend who works very part time at Starbucks just to get the health insurance. <laughs> and then I also have some friends who like just buy it privately through Obamacare or whatnot, and they just go through the different packages. A lot of them will do the high deductible um, programs. That way it's cheaper each month, um, you know, if they're fairly healthy. But I guess if you don't have really good health, then you probably want to look for a part time job or some sort of company that will provide it. Uh, and help you out along the way so you can work a few hours there but still
3: maintain
2: that. Yeah, that's a great point, Mackenzie. I think, like, one other option, like, is if you're leaving your full time job, I don't, I don't know if this is like a federal thing or maybe it's just California, but there's something called COBRA, and COBRA allows you to continue your employer's health insurance for, I think, up to 18 months. It is like pretty stupid expensive. Um, at least it was for me when I left my job, but that's an option for folks. Um, and what we do, what me and my wife do, since we're both self employed, is we, we use um, cover California, which is California's version of Obamacare. So we're able to get it through, through the marketplace. And like you said, we have a, uh, a relatively high deductible, but that helps us keep our, our monthly costs down.
0: Yeah. That Cobra, I'm pretty sure is nationwide because that's offered in New York state too. And usually when you're on a health insurance plan for a company is they pay a portion of that and that's part of your benefit. So when you do take that option, when you leave the job, you're now responsible for your employee portion plus the employer's portion. So, um, I still work the very bare minimum for another investor, basically to pay my health insurance. I get, I think maybe $12 direct deposited into my bank account every week. And the rest of it goes to pay my health insurance for my family. So, um, I mean, it's definitely, I, I, I I think what I would recommend is if you have your W-2, like stay with it for the health insurance or like figure out ways that you can reduce it because it is so expensive to go out on your own. But if you really are decided you don't want anything to do with your job, you don't want to pay, you know, Cobra through it, you don't even like the health insurance plan, I would go to the FIRE community. So financial independence, retire early. Go into that community, search that hashtag, personal finance, anything like that on Instagram or Google, um, different podcasts. And they are always talking about health insurance because these are people who are retiring early and they can't get, you know, Medicare or Medicaid. I never remember which one is for people that are retired that are senior citizens. So I would, um, recommend looking into those kind of groups and seeing what people are getting, because there are co-ops where you join a co-op basically and you pay into it. And it's like a pool of money. So everybody pays into it and it may be depend on what your, you know, health history is. But at, you know, if one person has, you know, a medical event, they draw from that pool of money to pay for that person. So you may never use it, you may use it um, just like any insurance, really. So those are some different things that you guys can look at if you are in need of health insurance or trying to Figure out what to do if you you do leave your job,
1: and I would also say talk to your CPA. So my CPA specializes in real estate investors. Um, so sometimes it helps to just kind of sit down and talk through the numbers with her. There's the HSA and different programs where you can set aside money. Um, so you know just talk to one of them and kind of see what their other clients are doing or if they have any suggestions that maybe you
3: can use as well.
2: Yeah, and just as a quick note, there is an entire uh, Bigger Pockets Money episode on this topic, um, and it's episode 270. So if you're looking for like a deeper discussion around this episode, 279 of the uh, Money Podcast.
0: Okay, so Mackenzie, we now have our rookie exam for you. The first question is, what is one actionable thing rookies should do after listening to this episode?
1: Um, I would say set down your specific goal. Right. It doesn't have to be a big if you're really wanting to start out, put pen to paper and put it into writing. Um, And, you know, I'm an educator, so we're all about smart goals (laughs) where there's like an actionable time frame and it's very specific and measurable. Um, So I would just start with that. And it doesn't have to be a perfect goal. That goal may change over time, but just getting pen to paper and setting a deadline for yourself.
2: That's awesome. All right, so next question is, what's one tool, software, app, or system that you use in your business?
1: I'm using Guesty right now to help manage my uh, Airbnb, and that is extremely helpful. I, I think I mentioned earlier about how it's kind of counterintuitive that I'm self-managing my Airbnb, which takes more work <laughs> than my long-term rentals. But one of the reasons why I'm able to do it is because Guesty is like super automated. It sends out a text as soon as they book. It sends out a text to my cleaner. It puts it on my calendar. Um, so it's, it's pretty, pretty
2: awesome. I was the same way. You know, we had several long-term rentals that we use property managers for all of them, but we've self-managed literally every single one of our Airbnbs as well. So who knows why? I don't know why. I think it's because it was so expensive to get a short-term rental property manager that I was like, I'm not paying someone 40% to do this. Like, I, I'm going to figure this out myself.
1: Totally. And I mean, what I've heard, at least upstate, is as soon as that big storm hits, like they're nowhere to be found because they have too many Airbnbs. And that's really when you need someone there. So I'm like, all right, let's just not plan on that.
0: (laughs) Okay. and the last question is, where do you plan on being in five years?
1: Oh, well, definitely retired from the DOE. Sorry. (laughs) Um, I plan to have, of course, more investment properties. I also want to do more interior designing. So I have a lot of clients now who um, I'm helping them get their Airbnbs up and running and they're asking me to design it and kind of train them and coach them through the process. So I hope to be doing a lot more of that uh, in the near future.
2: Awesome. Well, I want to take us over to our uh, last segment, which is the Rookie Rockstar. So again, if you guys want to get high, is the rockstar posting the real estate rookie Facebook group and the bigger pockets forums? You can slide a mine in Ashley's DMs. We're always looking for good stories. Today's rookie rockstar is Nidia Intuda, and hopefully, I said your last name the right way, uh, Nidia. So, uh, Nidia says, "I couldn't wait to be able to post this. I closed on my first rental property, which is two units in Florida." And I represent myself as a realtor. Thanks so much to this group for the inspiration and the tips. And the group she's talking about is Real Estate Rookie Facebook group. Uh, she says, I've inherited tenants and I'm open to keeping the one and the smaller unit that the former owner says is a good tenant. They've been there for a couple of years with no rent increases and pay medium medium rent. Um, and they just did the binder, but they're looking for ways to, to respond. So anyway, congratulations to you, Nidio, on getting those first two units in Florida. It's an amazing uh, accomplishment. And we're excited to see where you go from there. And
0: also, thank you for sharing your win with us, too. I think it gives us motivation and everybody else that reads it and sees it, that this is possible to do. So thank you to everyone else who does post in the real estate rookie Facebook group. And if you haven't joined yet, um, make sure you check it out at real estate rookie on Facebook. And you can also subscribe to us on YouTube at real estate rookie. Well, Mackenzie, thank you so much for joining us for this episode, Um, and thank you for joining us twice so we could complete the episode despite the technical difficulties. We won't say who's following us, (laughs) Tony, but um, (laughs) (laughs) we blame everything on Tony here.
1: Gotcha. Oh, yes, Tony, come on.
0: (laughs) So, Mackenzie, could you let everyone know where they can find out some more information about you and possibly reach out to you?
1: Absolutely. Um, I would say I'm most active on Instagram, Mac of All Trades NY. Um, and I also have a website slash blog, Mac of All NY.com.
0: Well, thank you so much for joining us, everybody. I hope you enjoyed this episode. I'm Ashley at Wealth From Rentals, and he's Tony at Tony J. Robinson. And we will be back with another episode on Saturday. The market is changing and finding your way can be tricky rates shift, headlines whirl, but your goal hasn't changed. You want financial freedom. And the best investors know it's not about timing the market. It's about time in the market. If you're ready to get into the real estate investing game or take your game to the next level, finding an investor-friendly agent is your next step. With BiggerPockets Agent Finder, you can find the right agent in minutes. Just head to biggerpockets.com deals